because that crown is meant for Jesus. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in two portions of the Christmas story, Matthew chapter number two and Luke chapters number one and two as well. So Matthew chapter two, we'll be there in just a second. And then Luke as well, if you want to put your finger there to be able to move there uh, quickly. So today is the fourth and final week in our series, The King Has Come. And one of the purposes of choosing this theme is to remind our hearts that as believers, we are not waiting for our King to come. Our King has come. And He brought the kingdom of God with Him. And so what our hearts are longing for is for His return so that His kingdom that He has brought grows in its final fulfillment as we talked about last week. And each week in our series, we've tried to address a different question. The first week we asked, who is the king? And we, we looked through the Old Testament prophecies to see how Jesus fulfilled those messianic promises of being the seed of woman of the family of Abraham, a prophet like but greater than Moses in the royal line of David, one to restore the kingdom that had been lost. In the second week, we asked the question, why do we need a king? And we saw that the reason we need a king is because the way into the kingdom of God is through the God of the kingdom, and that's Jesus. And so we're so thankful Jesus came because that baby in the manger would grow up to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We need a king because we need a way. And then last week, we asked the question, what kind of king is Jesus? Is he a good king? Is he a bad king? We saw that Jesus brought light to the shadows that were cast by the greatest king in Israel's history. His name was David. And we saw how Jesus brought David to life in a greater fulfillment as the son who fulfilled his father's mission. As the shepherd to become King, as the anointed with the Spirit of God and with the one whose kingdom would come in stages until its final fulfillment. He's a good king. Today, the last question that we're going to try to ask is what kind of a kingdom is Jesus building? See, we've seen kingdoms that have been built on the backs of people. So as Jesus comes as a king, what kind of a kingdom is gonna, he's going to be building? And to answer that, we're going to go back to this Christmas story in Matthew and Luke, and we're going to try to contrast the types of kings and kingdoms that were in existence when the king of kings comes into the world. Look, look with me at Matthew chapter number two, if you would. We've been here three out of the four weeks, and the reason is because there is the highlight of Herod, king of the Jews, and we're trying to show the appointed king is not the true king. Matthew chapter 2, verse number 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now behind me, I highlighted the words, in the days of Herod the king. Because Herod the Great, Herod the King, 
some people would say, was the most powerful and most wealthy man to ever walk the face of the planet. One man that I was listening to said that Bill Gates would be cutting the grass for King Herod. Earlier this year, back in March of 2023, I was through a series of miraculous events. I was able to visit the Holy Land. So cool. And as we toured Israel, the, the mark of this king, Herod the Great, is still littering the landscape of, of Israel. Our guide told us that whenever we saw arches in the ruins of the architecture we were visiting, he said those arches were either built by Herod the Great or by his son, who's called Herod Antipas. Herod the Great was amazing. This is just a snapshot of an aqueduct. That entire archway was built so that water could be moved. 75 miles they moved water, Herod the Great did. We saw palaces. He had three of them built. One of these palaces was built into the side of a mountain. It was ridiculous. The amount of time and effort and the amount of deaths of people for this palace to be built. We stood at a harbor, one that actually the Apostle Paul used, and Herod the Great was responsible for digging out, and people say, to this day, we have no idea how this seaport was created with underwater construction 2,000 years ago. But by far the greatest piece of structure or architecture we saw in the Holy Land built by Herod the Great was the temple. And here's the thing. I don't know if you could see like the brown lines on there, but up until 50 years ago, all the way up to that brown, that dark brown, that was all underground. They're still unearthing it. But the stones, one of them, the largest one being almost 16 foot long, we were told by multiple sources that there is not a crane in existence today with all the technology that we have that could move one of these stones. And they have no idea how Herod did this because Herod either killed the architects or destroyed the blueprints because he did not want anyone else to duplicate what he was able to do. This is the king who's in charge of Judea when Jesus is born. A king of great wealth, a king of great power, but a king of great fear because as soon as Jesus is born and those wise men come to ask, where is he who was born king of the Jews? And he finds out in Bethlehem, he sends armies to slaughter the baby boys of Bethlehem all to protect his power, his throne. We actually see Herod the Great in Luke's version of the birth narrative as well. Flip over with me to Luke chapter number one, if you would. In Luke chapter number one. Luke chapter one in verse number five. Oh, I'm so sorry. This, this, this picture behind me was meant to show you um, that's, a, that's a phone level. The, the, the stones of the temple that were as large as they were were perfectly level and plumb. And people have no idea how that happened. But in, in Luke chapter number one, we read of this Herod again, verse number five. It opens up in the days of Herod, king of Judea. There was a priest named Zechariah. Now, if you don't know the whole story, Zechariah is, is a 
is going to be the father of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the one who would be the forerunner of the Messiah. He would be born in a prophecy uh, fulfillment of Micah that that Messiah would have a forerunner. And it was in the days of King Herod that John the Baptist comes to tell people the king is coming. And then in chapter number two, if you look in chapter number two, the very familiar nativity passage that we all probably have read around this time of year opens with the words, in those days. Luke chapter two, verse number one, opens with in those days. In what days? In those days. In the days of Herod the king, because we've already covered that. In those days. But it goes on and it says a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. That all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So here's what we have to know. Herod the Great was an appointed king of the Jews by a man named Caesar Augustus. Who Caesar Augustus was the king of the world. Not just the king of the Jews, the king of the world. You may not know this about Caesar Augustus. He was born Octavian. His father, you know this name, his father was Julius Caesar. Octavian was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Now you say, what does this have to do with Christmas? Listen, listen. The way Caesar Augustus became king of the world to be in place when Jesus is born is he claimed that a bright light in the sky after his father had died, which there is a documentation, there was a comet at that time, but a bright light in the sky was actually his father, Julius Caesar, going to a throne to be seated in the heavens as a god. Meaning, this Caesar Augustus in Luke chapter 2 actually grabbed the throne by claiming he was the son of God. Inscriptions on plaques and coins about Caesar Augustus that they have unearthed read Augustus, the son of the Most High. Does that sound familiar? Augustus, the eternal prince of peace. Augustus, the king of kings. Augustus, the lord of lords. Even one inscription was uncovered that read this. There is no other name under heaven by which a man can be saved from terror other than Caesar Augustus. The king of kings and the lord of lords of the world is sitting on a throne while the king of kings and the lord of lords comes to earth to be placed in a in a manger. And yet that doesn't end the kings of the Christmas story. Let's keep reading in Luke chapter 2. Look at verse number 3. Remember Caesar Augustus desired a registration. And verse number 3 says, And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea. Herod, king of Judea. To the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Oh, wait a second. So, so you know what that means? Joseph, this almost forgotten piece of the, of the Christmas story, 
He was of the house and lineage of King David, which means that if if Israel still was able to put their own king on the throne, this man would be royalty. Possibly Joseph sitting on the very throne that Herod was occupying. But he's not sitting on a throne. He's traveling with his pregnant wife to a town called Bethlehem. But Luke wanted us to know that Joseph was in the line, the royal line of David. Let's keep reading. Verse number five. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Let me just stop here just for just a pause. It's customary, and I, think, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but it's customary to think that the night that Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem, she gave birth. We, that's not what the scriptures tell us. It just says at some point after they arrived, she gave birth. It may have been that night, but it doesn't have to have been that night, just so you, just so you know. Verse number 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now again, I think something we love to assume is that that word inn is comparable to our Western version of a hotel. And sometimes even in in kids' plays, we have, you know, Mary and Joseph knocking on the door of the inn, and the innkeeper comes and says, may I help you? And uh, we'd like to have a room. No room for you. You know, that you get to see the little kids play that out, but that's actually probably not at all like this took place. The Greek word that is translated in is actually translated later when Jesus and his disciples are preparing for the Last Supper, and Jesus tells his disciples to go get a room prepared for the Last Supper, same word here that we use for in, which means this wasn't a hotel. This was actually the guest room of a home. In the Jewish culture, hospitality was king. Almost every home would have a guest room where people, if they came unexpectedly or even not unexpectedly, they would be invited to a room of the house, the guest room of the house because hospitality was so important. But if we take that truth and we go back to these highlighted words in verse number seven, here's what we're going to find out. In a culture of hospitality, there was no room for a pregnant woman in the guest room of the home that was likely owned by Joseph's family. This isn't some unknown innkeeper saying, get out. This is likely Joseph's family, because he was going home, saying to Mary and Joseph, we don't have room for you. Now, why why in the world would their own family say that? Well, we've got to think of what story these two are bringing. This woman showing up pregnant with a child and she claims it's not Joseph's, but she claims that she's never been with a man? Ha! 
Has a virgin ever given birth before? No. What kind of a claim is this? How much shame and dishonor can you bring? And to Joseph, Joseph, you're going to stand by with this woman who has publicly shamed you. She has disgraced our name and you are standing with her all because in a dream you claim that an angel talked to you? No, the two of you are a disgrace to the family. We don't want you in this house. I don't know it played out exactly like that, but it's very likely that that type of a scenario was taking place when Joseph and Mary were returning to Bethlehem. And because of this, the Son of God, the true King of kings and the true Lord of lords, bringing a new kingdom, was born in obscurity with no royal attendants, just a few poor shepherds, with no royal robes, just some Cloths that have already been used and no palace. Just a piece of wood that he's laid in. Which leads us to ask the question that we're considering at the beginning, right? What kind of a kingdom could a king like this be bringing? It's nothing like the wealth and the abundance of Herod. It's nothing like the power of, of Caesar what kind of a kingdom could a rejected family, displaced child, what kind of a kingdom could he be bringing? But before we dismiss that, and this is not the end of the message, just before we dismiss that, I really want you to ask this question to yourself. Whose kingdom do our Christmases look like the most? The kingdoms of Herod and Caesar or the kingdom of of Jesus. And we decorate our homes with sparkling tinsel, with bright gold, with, with silver bells, and with colorful beauty. Everything we can to make an indoor palace. And whose kingdom does that reflect most? We shop and we shop to give extravagant gifts that are likely forgotten before we get the credit card bills, right? And, and and we ask, why are we giving all these gifts? Like, whose kingdom are we truly displaying? Now, I get that the wise men brought gifts to Jesus, extravagant gifts to Jesus, but that's because they were bringing them to a king, and that's what you do for a king. So may I encourage you, just practically, do not allow, please, church, do not allow Christmas to become a competition it's, it's not about how big the gift is that you brought or, or, or who received what gift or, or how your house looks. or act. No, it, that's not what Christmas is about. That's not reflecting the kingdom of our king. Christmas is about the birth of a king who brought a kingdom that looks nothing like the kingdoms of this world. And if we lose that, we lose the purpose and meaning of the season altogether. Now, I do understand we live in a culture where, where we're going to give gifts and we're going to decorate our houses, and I think that can be done in a very Christ-honoring way when it's not about the gifts and it's not about the decorations. But, oh, we have got to church. We have got to keep our focus on Christ. And so can I just encourage you, just, just, just briefly encourage you, celebrate the greatest gift. Like, right, hey, 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 as a family, before the presents are opened, read Luke 2. 
as a family after the gifts have been opened, let's return back and thank Jesus that even though we have these gifts in front of us, you, King Jesus, are the greatest gift. I know it might be a little bit late for your kids, but hey, teach your children calm with no expectations. Oh, the lists that the kids write these days. Because if those lists aren't filled, it's like, well, Christmas wasn't good. Come on. Come with no expectation. So anything you get is a blessing. And find your greatest joy in giving. That is not, that is not something children learn on their own. We are inherently selfish. The only way your children, your grandchildren will find a greater joy in giving than in receiving is if it is modeled for them. So moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, model what it means to find greater joy in giving than receiving. Find ways to serve others and then find ways to include your children in those acts of service. I think one of the greatest things we did, and Liz, thank you for you and Eric and your family putting together that angel tree and doing all the work behind it, to see kids last Sunday walking in with gifts, your children walking in with gifts that were not for them to give to somebody else. I'm like, that's what they have to learn. But they'll never do it on their own. They will stand there with their hands open unless we teach them, fill your hands and empty them. It's gotta be modeled at home. And here's why that is important. Because the kingdom that Jesus is building is a kingdom where giving and serving is greater than receiving and being served. That's why he says, the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve. And he's our role model. He's our example. And he's calling us to do the same. The type of kingdom Jesus is building is a kingdom where the poor and the rejected and the outcasts are welcomed and are invited. It's a kingdom where the poor are made rich. As Jesus, as Paul writes of Jesus in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. It's a kingdom where the poor are made rich. It's a kingdom where the rejected find acceptance. As Paul again writes, He, Jesus, made us accepted. Those who are far off, those who had been, those who are far from God are being brought close to God because of Jesus. That's the kind of kingdom he's bringing. The poor are made rich, the rejected find acceptance, and outcasts become a part of the family. As Again, as Paul quotes the prophet Hosea from the Old Testament, you, in the place where it was said, you are not my people, there, in that place, they will be called sons of the living God. You see, the kingdom that Jesus is building is an upside-down kingdom compared to the kingdoms of Herod and Caesar, a kingdom where the king serves his people, where the king goes to battle for his people, and where the king ultimately lays his life down for his own rather than sending his own to lay their lives down for him. But here's the thing. A kingdom of giving and serving made up of the poor and rejected outcasts of society, doesn't sound like the kingdom most people are looking for today. 
including believers. Which means in some way we have walked ourselves back to Luke chapter 2, verse number 7, where this shepherd king finds no room in his own family. See, many, for many of us, our lives are filled with beauty and wealth and extravagance. And this, this, this king comes, this king, a king of outcasts, a king of the poor, a king of the needy comes and we say, no, we have no room for that because our kingdoms are kingdoms of beauty, our kingdoms are kingdoms of wealth. And even in the homes of believers, Jesus will have a party thrown to him while he's outside of the home. Because we are living in such a way that we don't invite the king because we want a different kind of a kingdom. In fact, and I I hope this doesn't offend any of you, but it might. The kind of kingdoms many Americans wants, the kind of kingdoms many American, Americans want is built on the back of a political leader who all he wants to do is take America back to greatness. May, may I ask you a question? What if America doesn't need to go back to greatness? What if America needs to go back to repentance? But that only comes through humility, not through pride. Not through arrogance. But is that the kind of kingdom most Americans want? Well, we want to have strong leaders who make us feel secure. Hey, what if what we need most is to have our security stripped away from us so that the only person we can turn to is Jesus? But we don't want that kind of a kingdom. We want to be secure. We want a decisive leader who will take us where we know we should go. But what if what we need most is a leader who says, leave behind your dreams, leave behind your desires, take up your cross and follow me because I will take you to a place you never would have known you could have gone because my kingdom looks so different than what you're used to. But do we want that kind of a kingdom? See, the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. It's upside-down from that of Herod and Caesar and the world. And it's upside-down. How do we know what it looks like? Well, Jesus has modeled it for us. He entered our world into the arms of a poor and rejected family. He was placed in a manger in the shadows of a palace of the wealthiest, most powerful person to ever walk and his kingdom is built as his people serve others, give of themselves sacrificially, lay down the rights to their very own lives because that's the kind of king he is. And that's the kind of kingdom he's building. And today the the kingdoms of Herod and Caesar exist, bless you, they exist only in the ruins of Israel. Their evidence is buried. We've got to unbury it. Ah, In contrast, you've got to think about this. The kingdom that started in a stinking little wooden manger goes, stretches across every continent of this earth, and it is only growing and expanding. 
Why? Because the one who was rejected in the guest house said, I know what it feels like. So you could be a part of my kingdom if you're, if you're feeling rejected. Come be a part of my kingdom. If you feel poor and unloved, come be a part of my kingdom. And those who place themselves under the reign of King Jesus, as we said last week, which is the church, those placing themselves under the, king of, the reign of King Jesus, we get to serve, sacrifice, we get to die daily, we get to make disciples. So what, what's the takeaway? Simple. Keep the true king in the center of your celebration. Make sure Jesus stays at the forefront of your time this Christmas. And model the way of the king to others. Live like Jesus. And daily remind your heart of how your king loves you. I'm going to tell you, I want to show you, I'll tell you one thing, and I want to show you one thing that explains the kingdom that Jesus is building. Last Monday, I reached out to Devin Garcia. Devin was just sitting up here. I'm going to be honest and transparent with you, okay? Can I do that? You're probably going to think less of me, but that's okay. I, I reached out to Devin, and we, we were talking a little bit, and I said, I got to be honest with you, man. I don't know, last Sunday I was a little bit discouraged. Last Sunday I came with, I had prepared a message with Jesus and King David and the beautiful shadows and the light and how the kingdom of God is revealed in stages just like the kingdom of David. And I said I was so excited to be able to share it. And when we got to church, it just, it was, the crowd was down. And I wasn't discouraged because the crowd was down. That happens. We have ebbs and flows. I was discouraged because like, have, have you ladies ever prepared a meal and then there's empty places at this table after you've like worked so hard to prepare this meal and then you get the texts that say, hey, I'm not going to be there. I'm, I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to be there. Like, I made this for you. And I just, just, just knowing that many of our, our regulars were out last week and I, I said, I just, Devin, I, I'm just... I felt a pity party for myself. And even as I'm telling you this, Devin, that's embarrassing. I shouldn't be living. I shouldn't be thinking like that. And he responded back to me and said, you know, I'll be honest with you. I'm glad you told me that. It reminds us the pastors have feelings too. Yeah, yeah, we're human. Yeah, yeah, we, we do. Keep that in mind. Tuesday morning, I was sitting at the kitchen table, finished up my devotions, and, and I opened up my Facebook account, and I had received a, a message from a, from a gentleman I had met when I went to the Philippines on a missions trip back in 2019, and he's somebody that has occasionally reached out to me, and, and, and the church that I was at in Virginia, we would be able to help him with a project or with a need, and, and he, he reached out to me saying, you know, hey, we're trying to get some air conditioners for this church plant. He's, he's Started a church in the middle of the pandemic. Now, that was not brilliant. But he started a church in the middle of the pandemic, and he, the Lord, has blessed. But they're meeting, and, and it's getting hot there now. And he's like, we would love to get some air conditioners in here. Would you be able to help us? And I looked at that, and I thought, man, we just gave a missionary who came to the church. We just, we just were very kind to him, generous to him two weeks ago. And, man, we just finished this, this giving tree, or the, the angel tree. I'm not... 
I can't go back to the church and ask them to do something else. And so I responded by simply saying, hey, man, it's just not a great time right now, but I would love to help you in the future. And I hit send. And as soon as I hit send, the Lord said, he wasn't asking you to ask the church. He asked you for help. And you have money to help him. And he put a number on my heart right then to help him. And you know what I did? I closed my Bible like a good old pastor. I closed my Bible and I put it on the shelf and I walked away and completely ignored what Jesus had told me. I got in my car and I got in my car and there's a book on that back table called a gospel primer and I love to share the gospel primer and on that day the gospel primer was talking about the generous ways of Jesus. And and I have some friends that I share this gospel primer with. And as soon as I read it, I got done with Luke chapter 7, where the woman breaks open the vial of ointment and anoints the feet of Jesus. And, and like immediately came back to me. She gave what she had. Brian, you, I asked you to give and you shut me out. And you know what I did again? I literally shut that away. I just pushed it out. And then I got on as the good pastor that I am. And started talking to these two friends that I have around the country about how generous Jesus is and how we are called to be generous like Jesus all the while in the back of my mind thinking, you have already twice told him no. And while I was talking to the two of them, I was under such conviction. I said, hey guys, I just need to tell you, the Lord told me to do something this morning and I just have not wanted to do it. I've been pushing it off, but I'm telling you two guys right now, I'm going to help this missionary. I shut that off and immediately that conversation with Devin came back to my mind like, you need to share that because as a pastor, people don't think that you fight these battles. And I'm like, well, who do I share it with, Lord? I was on my way to meet a group of men at Rise and Roll, which is a great place to meet anybody, by the way. Uh, a donut shop? Come on. Uh, 9.30 on Tuesday morning, I walk in, and as I walk in, I haven't been there in a couple of weeks, and, and it's, a group of, it's a group of men that just gather together, none of them from this church. This is just guys from around the, around the community who are all believers. And I walked in, and one of them, his name's Greg, he's like, oh, Pastor Brian, hey, we're really glad you came today because the guy who normally shares, he's sick and he just told us. And so I sure hope you have something to share. I was like, oh, I have something to share. And I sat there and I told those men exactly what had happened that I just shared with you. And how I had decided that I was going to help this, this missionary. And as soon as I got done saying that, a man sitting by the door, it was his first time I had never, never met him before, he raised his hand, he goes, hey, you know what, guys? We're going to help with that. We're going to take an offering. And in 30 seconds, 30 seconds, those men raised $450. 30 seconds, $450. And I sat there. I was like, you're such a good king. You didn't belittle me for my lack of faith. You, you kept giving me more chances. You're such a good king because kings of this world would destroy people who are disobedient to them. 
But you don't destroy me. You came alongside and you actually led me to a group of believers who responded immediately. And and I'm sitting here saying, I'm the pastor. And I've said three times today, no. And these guys are presented with it. And boom, they step in immediately. That's the kind of kingdom Jesus is building. He's a king who didn't walk away from someone who just said, I am tired of trying to get your attention. He didn't walk away from me. He didn't dismiss me. He didn't reject me. He said, I am going to walk with you until you get it. I I was a failure to him, and he was faithful to me. Because that's the kind of king. And that's the type of kingdom that Jesus is building. And he's doing it right here. Bobby, would you come up here for a second? Liz, would you and your family come up here for a second? Liz, would you and your family come up here for a second? Matt, I know you're upstairs. Would you come down here for a second? Don't worry about the board. I don't care if something doesn't get done right. Bobby Ross, how long ago, Bobby, did you come to uh, uh, the doors of PCC? It's been a couple months. A couple months. Bobby showed up one Sunday. Um, des- desperately in need. I-, I-, I would use those words, in desperate need. And uh, I had a chance to talk to Bobby a little bit, and Bobby, uh, I- I've asked him if I could share this, and he said yes. Bobby's living in his car. And so I asked Bobby, how can we help you? Because he came and said, I need help. And man, he, he left that first day. And, and again, correct me if I'm wrong. Please do correct me if I'm wrong. Bobby said, I had never felt so welcome in a place before. The pe- you all, you all made this man feel like a part of a family. And he said, well, well Pastor, he's like, I, I actually, I'm behind on my car insurance right now. And, I, and my cell phone bill. And so I reached out to our leadership of our church, and the leadership of the church said, yeah, we're, we want to help this guy. And so, so we, we um, paid for his car insurance to get it up to date. We, I took him down, and we filled up his car because he's living in his car. It's the only way that he's going to get heat at night. A couple of days later, we, we chatted again, and he said, man, it was cold last night. I, I, I kinda, I'm running out of gas. I got to be careful because I have a job, and I need to get to my job. So I didn't have the heat running last night while I was in the car, and it got cold. And so, Matt, come down here for a second. Just come here for a second. And so Matt came, came to the church, and Matt stopped by, and he got some sleeping bags and some blankets. And he's like, I don't know, Bobby, but man, would you please give this to him? I think he gave him a gas card as well. And Bobby keeps coming on Sundays, and he's, he's not asking for help, but like the next thing I know, that he's standing in the back one Sunday, and you got a five quart of oil in your hand, and I what in, the, what in the world are you holding a, cord, a container of oil for? And he's like, well, Eric and his family, they brought this for me. I, I didn't even know he needed it. So obviously, Eric was reaching out to him individually and, and helping. Trey, stand up for just a second where you are. So this is Trey and Chloe. They got baptized a couple weeks ago. Thanks, you can sit down. You know what this guy tells me? Because Eric and Liz had had Bobby over to their house for a few meals, 
and Eric doesn't know I'm telling you this. He's watching online. Hi, Eric. Uh, I'm telling your story a little bit. Eric actually paid Bobby to do some work around his house to try to help him. And he sat at their table a few times to the point where he told me, at Chloe, after you and Trey got baptized, he told me, he's like, man, I sat back there. I was so proud of them. He's like, I felt like a proud uncle. Part of the family. This is the kingdom of God right here. People who don't know each other outside of their faith in Jesus becoming one. This is the kingdom that's being built. It's not a kingdom of presence and gifts. It's not a presence of, presence of gold and decorations. It's a presence of service and of love, of kindness. And I know that there's others in the crowd, and I thought of doing it, but I didn't, I didn't have enough time to ask each of you. I know there's others in the crowd that you, you could stand up and you could say, hey, let me just tell you how the people of PCC have, have stepped into our lives in a time of need, and we have been loved. That's the kingdom our king is building. And he does it through people who place themselves under the reign of the king and say, we will serve, we will give, we will sacrifice, we will love, even if nobody knows it. Because you wouldn't know what he did, you wouldn't know what they did if I didn't tell you, but I felt like we needed to know what kind of a kingdom Jesus is building. And there are those of you, again, I could tell many stories to tell you the kingdom's being built here. So thank you. Thank you for giving me a front row seat. Thank you that even as a pastor, when I fail, and I don't obey like these did, when I don't, thank you for letting me continue to serve. We have a good king, a faithful king, a king unlike anyone else, a king who's coming to build a kingdom that's going to look so different. But when it finally comes in its fulfillment, it's going to be so good. And so if you don't know that king, oh, please don't leave today without giving myself or someone a chance to introduce you to him. We're here to celebrate his birthday. It's a big deal that our king came. And it's a big deal that we live like him. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to close and we're going to sing for the last time how many kings? And let's sing it from the bottom of our hearts. Father, I thank you for these men and these ladies.